Hello, you're with Earth Matters. Earth Matters brings you environmental and social justice stories. Today's story, Superannuation Trustees Do the Climate Wiggle, was produced on the Yidinji Nation in Gimoy, Wallaburra, Cairns, for Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, Wurundjeri Country, and broadcast nationally through the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. I was recently sitting in a car with Anthony too outside the Cairns Convention Centre, where a conference for superannuation trustees was being held. Superannuation trustees are the people who look after our superannuation money. Several other cars, full of people from Stoppadani Cairns, including our other guest today, Margie Pastorius, were also waiting for the call to converge at the building's entrance to perform a surprise street theatre skit where a fake trustee is arrested by a fake policeman for failing to take climate risks into account. The aim of the skit is to persuade the trustees to include climate change impacts in their risk assessment. The action was successful. At the end of the day, Stopadani Cairns heard that the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees would do more to visibly lead in taking climate change risk into account. There are many other institutions and industries that need to tackle the implications of climate change. Today, we'll find some keys on how to make these institutions wiggle into leading with visible climate action. Margie Pastorius also introduces Wage Peace, which provides strategic messaging and digital campaigning support for campaigns in the anti-militarism space. My name is Anthony Two. I'm 54 years old. I'm, uh, my professional work is as a support worker for people with disabilities. I'm here with the Cairns chapter of the Stopadani network and we are about to do an action at a superannuation trustees conference in the Cairns Convention Centre. There's about 10 of us sitting in vehicles in the car park outside the Cairns Convention Centre. We're waiting for the word from our coordinator when there's a certain amount of people arriving and we're going to go and do a bit of theatre up in front of the Convention Centre for the edification of the trustees who are arriving for the final day of their conference. You're going to do some street theatre at a superannuation conference to an audience of trustees. And what will the street theatre show? Okay, in this bit of street theatre, we're imagining a court in the year 2030 and the barrister, who's going to be me, is running a prosecution against a superannuation trustee who's been found guilty of failure to act with due diligence and uh, according to the principles of good corporate governance in failure to disclose climate risk to the investors in the superannuation industry. Right. You look great in the judge's wig, by the way, Tui. And so you've been preparing for this action with some posters. What's been happening there? Uh, We've had a crew over the last few days uh, moving around the convention centre and in the the streets nearby between the centre and the hotels where the trustees are staying. We've put up posters basically saying that they're wanted. They're wanted for those crimes failing in their due diligence and their duty of care to the investors. We have one company that's being sued at the moment, REST, a superannuation fund, is being sued by a citizen uh, for failure of uh, climate-related financial disclosure. It's clear with billions of dollars of Australian public's money invested in these superannuation funds that they have this duty to their investors and to the public 
to deal with good corporate governance with the climate-related risks. The Australian Prudential Regulators Association, Australian Securities and Investment Commission, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and of course many international bodies have all raised the issue. There's many papers released, authoritative documents and uh, investigations by members of law. The President, Noel Hutley, the President of the Australian Bar Association, among others, has uh, developed papers which clearly show that climate-related risks should be a normal part of the corporate governance of all superannuation funds and failure uh, of any trustee, any director, any CEO to deal with that risk will lead to prosecution. So we're going to act out that prosecution today. Wow. And not only the street theatre, there's been a couple inside well-dressed handing out leaflets or putting them on the seats. Is that right? Indeed. We had a couple of uh, professional waitresses on board and uh, they were in their uniform. So they got a degree of acceptance uh, from the, the staff at the convention centre and they were able to hand out a uh, uh, hundred or more of the leaflets. They gave them to the trustees as they came in and they have put some on the furniture in the lounge there. And so the staff at the convention centre are very much aware. The organisers became aware of our action. Uh, one of the staff came out to me and asked us to move on. And he said, are you aware you're on private property and I'm asking you to move on? And I said, well, are you aware of the climate risks that are being incurred by the investors in the uh, superannuation funds? So we didn't move on until all the crowd had gone in. There's a shift towards climate change litigation. Low-lying island countries and US cities even groups of children, are taking governments and big oil companies to court for failing to act proportionately on emissions reductions. Tui mentioned the recent Australian case, where for the first time a superannuation company is being sued for not having a plan to protect people's savings from the impacts of climate change. The company is called REST, and 23-year-old ecology graduate Mark McVeigh is suing the $50 billion Superfund because, he said, they haven't really released any information or strategies or plans to do with climate change risk. And this means he can't really tell if his money is safe. Mark needs to take climate risks into consideration to decide whether his superannuation money is with the best company. A victory in court for McVeigh may mean super funds must do more to protect people's savings from the impacts of climate change. In total, super funds own about a quarter of the Australian Stock Exchange, which means this change would result in a massive move in investment patterns. And thanks to the ABC News for the background information on this. Climate change impacts just about everything I can think of, and therefore... All of the organisations that make up our society are affected by climate change risk. Not only superannuation funds, but also banks, universities, the churches are now being targeted by a grassroots pressure movement to face the way they contribute to CO2 emissions and to divest from coal, oil and gas. Of course, these targets are really just bunches of people. Margie Pistorius from Stopadani Cairns gives us some clues on how to get these bunches of people to do the climate wiggle. It was the AIST conference, which is the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees. 
We thought we would target the trustees. It was a conference for trustees themselves for an action. So they became the target and we had to think about what would make that target wiggle, what would make those trustees shift their thinking or, or do something different. And what we're looking for them to do is make risk assessments on climate and the money that they hold. They're the legal investors of the money or the legal protectors of the money. That's why they're called trustees. And the idea in nonviolence is that you find a target and then you f- figure out what you want that target to do, a specific thing, a specific action or a specific change. And then you think about, you know, psychologically or socially or morally, what's going to shift that target? And our thinking was that that target, those people hadn't done anything up to now. They know about climate change. They clearly know about those things. There's about 60 members and we thought, what's really going to get that group? They're a pretty middle class group looking after money is fear. So we're acting on them psychologically in terms of non-violence theory and what we did was to just put this wanted message. They will be wanted for illegal misuse of funds when the climate risk becomes clear because they won't have done the climate work, the climate risk work necessary to look after their members' funds. What we looked to do was to act on them psychologically and that what we did therefore was put posters all around the town with wanted superannuation fund trustees, wanted for not managing climate risk. And then we did a skit which showed a superannuation trustee, a very ordinary person, being arrested and locked up and tried by a, a, a policeman and a judge so that they would get this message that they were at risk of facing courts and there's nothing middle-class people hate more than facing the legal system. You met with the head honcho of the conference? Yeah, we met with the CEO, Eva Schilling, and she uh, came with uh, some of the executive team and people from uh, other sister organisations and we discussed the leadership they should take. So that was actually an effect that we hadn't thought that we would, would happen, but we had been hammering them on Twitter that day, just in you know using their hashtag and directing tweets at them to say, where's the climate change messaging here in this conference? And by the end of the second day, they called for a meeting and we discussed their leadership. So originally the leadership team had not really been our focus, but obviously they are the focal point for a set of members. So we looked at what they could be doing to educate and how they can make things more transparent, what they are doing, because they they did insist that they were doing some things that we couldn't see. But we wanted to ask them to make that transparent so that the movement can then measure what's going on. You've got some feedback loop and you can say, well, yeah, that's great, but you should be doing more here or, hey, you said you were going to do that, but you're not doing that. So that's about accountability so transparency is an important part of accountability We've had a situation in Cairns in the last year where we focused on the reef tourism operators for climate leadership as Stopadani we had a a petition asking for them to stand up for leadership, but other organisations, AMCS, are really focused on encouraging them to take proper leadership because they were being very pathetic in their 
uh, approach to climate change. And they did, in fact, come out with a very strong statement eventually. Uh, where We've got Port Douglas Shire, which is, is taking leadership in the region and the councils, and we've got the, the local council. We're now Cairns Regional Council that we're focusing on to take leadership. And we think that... You know, this is an important call and there there are hundreds of institutions and sets of institutions, whether they're councils or tourism bodies or superannuation or, or insurance. There's hundreds of these bodies, dozens of them, you know, that uh, should be banding together to do what they can to limit and, and, and to put political pressure on the political parties to actually get their act together to provide a framework. What we found out from the superannuation people is that they've been sort of waiting for the government to provide a policy framework, and of course the government hasn't. So really we said to them, and they agreed, they have to take the action now and stop waiting for the government. The government's going to have to follow. I think people should take action and, you know, we had a lot of fun. You know, it's hard work, you know, even to get a small skit production, which, you know, where people are risking arrest or at least move on. But it's fun. It makes people, you know, it's really the only way forward. You know, get out on the streets, take your climate action out of the digital world, into the streets, back to the digital world and out of the streets. Everybody needs to be doing climate action every day. Uh, That's what participation is. Once a week or once a month or one click is not enough. Everybody needs to be organising. Let's go to a song, Bitter Pills by Melbourne band The Phosphines, who've recently released their second album, Finally a Friendly Shore. Bitter Pills was written by Dean Lombard, and here's his introduction to his song. Australia has a brutal immigration policy that involves intercepting boats, carrying refugees before they enter our waters and putting them in prison camps we have set up in neighbouring poor countries. Ironic for a country founded by immigrants as an offshore prison camp and largely built by refugees. We also have a history of brutal violence too and oppression of the original inhabitants of the land who are still largely marginalised from society and have terrible health and mortality outcomes. Bitter Pills reflects on this and the parallels in our treatment of refugees and of our First Peoples and expresses hope for a better society that embraces both its history and future.
bitter pills from the phosphenes written by Dean Lombard. Let's talk to Margie Pastorius again, who echoes some of the themes of the song. Margie, you've started another group called Wage Peace to work on militarism in this country. Can you tell me more? So Wage Peace is it's a small organisation or a project, really, which is looking to support different activities, events and campaigns in the anti-militarism space. So not the climate change space, not the refugee space, uh, but and not really even the anti-nuclear space, though we obviously there's some crossover, but the anti-militarism space. So we're looking at the extraordinary rise of militarism in this country and people are not noticing it that well. And we're going to be an organisation that's not afraid of direct action, that's not afraid of thinking strategically in terms of non-violence and we hope to do a range of things including find pathways for volunteers and especially those volunteers who are not living in the cities we think there are a lot of volunteers out there who are living in small country towns and they can't make it to actions but there's a whole lot of things they can do digitally so we have wage peace digital which is providing pathways for involvement and participation Uh, we look at capacity building obviously so that we can facilitate people to do that work and we've got some platforms that can support uh, organisers who have got who have got even small events or short campaigns or activities, and we can provide uh, the database to reach people who are interested in Australia on anti-militarism issues. And we're really wanting to support uh, local initiatives around peace and anti-militarism and build capacity and join projects up because the anti-militarist movement is so fragmented we need to really work together and notice what each other is doing and build synthesis in ways that create the biggest effect. Maggie, what is militarism and what are the goals of wage peace? Well, the goals of wage peace is to rein in the militarism. So any de-escalation of militarism at this point is good. So what we're seeing in terms of militarism in Australia is we're seeing the rollout of and the expansion of US bases. Uh, the Darwin bases is getting bigger. We've got uh, Pine Gap, which is uh, very active in... US wars, US illegal and immoral wars, by providing intelligence uh, from Australia to the US for targets in Yemen or Syria. We've also got the military, the weapons manufacturers moving into universities and a whole range of civil institutions. Uh, they're advertising in the War Memorial, which is enraging many people, but they're also in our universities and they're also militarising very quickly the borders, as we know, the migration and the borders. So we have our sister organisations such as WACA, Whistleblowers Activist Citizens Alliance, who's working very strongly in that space to point out the extraordinary militarisation of migration and then at the heart of it all we're militarization looking... of migration yeah oh. the militarization of the borders so they're using using the military to keep people out they're using the military to detain people military organizations and forces are detaining people we've also got in the center at the heart of all this we have the frontier wars uh, where we're trying to uh, assist Aboriginal people and non-Indigenous people to highlight the true history of Australia. And we say that this uh, incredible increase in militarisation is occurring because Australians cannot think about war, because not because of the First World War, not because of the Second World War, but because of the wars that occurred in the 1800s when there were 10-year rollout of frontier wars across Australia with battles, with... Uh, internments with massacres. 
Margie, at this point, a lot of people would be thinking frontier wars. That's a historical thing. What's this got to do with militarism and our US alliance and, and wars overseas? I think it's very clear that terra nullius meant that people were not to think about what had happened. And there's a lot of evidence now in the historical realm that Australians used to think about Aboriginal people while they were killing them. But somewhere between 1920 and 1980, they completely were erased from white Australia's ability to think and became almost, the the whole history became invisible. And what that meant for Aboriginal people was that they were not able to heal. And what happened for, the same thing for white people, we have this whole missing part of our brain where we can't think about war because our history is totally embedded in war and we need to face that war. And so we've, as a peace movement, and just like the climate action movement as well, we're we're all working to put Aboriginal sovereignty at the centre of what we do to some extent. And for us, that's about acknowledging the frontier wars on Anzac Eve or Anzac Day, or when Aboriginal people in your community want to acknowledge them. And we're really encouraging people to organise grassroots ceremonies that bring Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people together to tell the true history of the wars in your area, the battles that occurred in your area, uh, the disappearances, the murders, the rapes and the massacres. So, for example, in Cairns, in Gimoy, where I live, in the Yadinji sovereign area, we work in partnership with the local tribe to create a co-created ceremony of remembrance of the frontier wars and that's driven by the local elders who want those stories told and it's made an enormous difference in our relationships with that tribe but it's also made an enormous difference for those people attending to remember that this happened. And for us in in Cairns, it happened 120 years ago. For people down south, it might have happened 140, 160 years ago, maybe 200 years ago. And we have to find those places, those battles, those incidents in relationship and in partnership with local people under their direction. So we're looking to support people, activists who have got small events, activities that we can amplify and we can help you to build capacity around your event at whatever level you're undertaking that event. We're also looking to join people up, so get in touch with us at Wage Peace. We're on wagepeaceau.org or on Twitter and Facebook, so we'd love people to get involved. You can find all those links on the 3CR Earth Matters homepage. That's right. Next to the podcasts are the links for all the information. Margie, it's few activists that I know who have welded such an excellent knowledge of non-violent direct action theory with its practical application, showing that if you do apply the theory, you can come up with some great results. Thank you so much for talking to Earth Matters. Thanks, Beck. You've been listening to Earth Matters. Today's story was produced on the Yidinji Nation in Gimoy, Wallabara, Cairns, for Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, Wurundjeri Country, and broadcast nationally through the Community Radio Network. <laughs>
And if you'd like to get in touch with Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page on Earth Matters 3CR Radio or follow us on Twitter at EarthMRadio. If you'd like to listen to or share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. That's all for today's show. Thanks so much for sharing this time with us. The Earth Matters team will be back next week with more environmental and social justice stories. I'm Beck Orridge. Thank you for listening. And now Taimori with a snippet of their new album called Taimori, Valley of Peace. Why?